Well, good morning. It's so good to uh, be with you this morning. As uh, Jeff just said, I'm Dave Griffith. I'm the ministries pastor here at Lake City, and I'm thrilled to be able to speak to you today and to encourage you as we continue on our series in Ephesians, this uh, summer at Lake City book that we've been studying. Hopefully you've been studying along with us, gleaning everything you can out of God's Word. This is a kind of a short book, uh, but God does a lot in a short amount of time uh, through Paul as he writes to us to help. Um, he's reaching out to this church, this young church in Ephesus, that he's giving direction to say, here's what it looks like now that you have given your life to Christ, now that you're in the body of, of believers, here's what it looks like to be able to walk that out. So if you would turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, chapter 5 today in Ephesians, or you can go to lexcity.info uh, and just go right up to the top. There's a spot where you can click on uh, sermon notes, and there's all the notes there for you. If you're watching online, welcome to you. That's a great uh, way for you to get uh, connected and uh, stay there as we're uh, going through this together. And as Brian briefly explained last week, there's two parts to the Ephesians book. The first half where Paul spends significant amount of time telling this church uh, who they are and whose they are to be anchored in the love of Jesus and the grace uh, that he has for them. And then we come to this point uh, where halfway through chapter 4 and into chapter 5, we turn to the back half of the, the book uh, where Paul begins to point out some discrepancies that can exist in our lives based on this glorious inheritance that we uh, have, that we've been given in Christ. And Paul gets crystal clear, uh, mind you. Uh, in, uh, on a lot of topics in a hurry, and you could summarize all of these under the category probably of holy living. Uh, basically, we've come to the stop doing that week of Ephesians, and for, you get to hear from the whole teaching team this summer, and I get the week on stop it. That's basically where we are in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, which was basically my father's whole parenting advice. You know, you'd come in from playing, or you come off the ball field, and you go, Dad, my back hurts when I do this, and he would say exactly what every parent it does, well, then don't do that, you know, it won't hurt. And that's actually pretty good advice. If we apply that in most of our lives, most of the time, I think it would, would uh, stop a lot of things, but it doesn't always work quite that way, especially when you're like going maybe to a counseling session or seeing a psychiatrist, you want it to be a little more involved when you're getting ready to pour out your deepest, darkest secrets and get some help. Uh, so anyway, check this out. Go. Okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. Truly, thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. You ready? Yes. Stop it! <laughs> It doesn't always work quite that well. Our pastor loves that video. That's why I had to bring that one to you today. The, this whole concept of just stop it, uh, is, it sometimes needs a little more. And yet I think that is kind of Paul's approach in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Believe it or not, uh, that's his approach. In the back half of this letter, he's helping people figure out uh, how to navigate this walk with Christ now. 
and he lays out in the midst of this extremely broken culture that they live in uh, how they can begin to do that. He gives them some specific things. They say, if you participate in these, it will go bad for you. It will, it will hurt. So in my mind, in, in Bob Newhart fashion, he's calling out, stop it <laughs> to them. But let me explain something before we go into this uh, any further, dig into it. This may be true for you because it was for me when I was young and I was beginning to explore what Christianity was all about and what it looked like when I was a kid. Maybe you had thoughts like this. I thought of it this way, like there were two paths. One path that pointed to heaven and one path that pointed toward hell And everybody was walking one of those paths. And that's accurate. Jesus himself spoke about this many times. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. And people will spend eternity in one of those. That was very accurate. However, in my brain as a little kid, I thought that everyone on the hell path was doing bad things until they started doing good things. And then they jumped over to the heaven path as they carried that out. I didn't really know how many bad things there were uh, to keep you on that path, but if you're on the heaven path and you started doing bad things, then you jumped over to the other ones. I don't know how many things it had to, you do to get back on the heaven path, but that's the way my brain worked, and I didn't know the, the equation, but I did know that I wanted my, bad, my good things to outweigh my bad things so that if I were ever asked, at least I had a, an explanation for it. But then someone uh, one day told me that there, I was thinking of this uh, little skewed and explained to me actually the first, for the first time that I had a problem at my core, that I was really just a sinful person, that we actually all were. And there was no amount of good things I could do on this path that would help me jump over to the other. I had racked up such a rap sheet on this path that I was stuck there and uh, There was no way I could do that on my own, and that's why I needed Jesus. He paid the price so that I no longer had to walk this path, that I could walk this new one toward heaven with him. This is called grace. There was nothing I did to deserve it, but he died on my behalf and rose again, uh, so on my behalf and your behalf, so that we could walk this path with him again. Ephesians 1.5 says it this way, God declared in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.5, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. This is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's just two spots in Ephesians, the book we're studying. The the Bible, I mean, it's scattered everywhere. The Bible makes this crystal clear that God did this on our behalf. If you want to go back and look, the first two weeks of this series were all about uh, that, that concept. You can dig into it more. Now, most of us, though, here today have probably heard that concept before. But if you haven't, if you're hearing that for the first time, like the lights maybe are coming on for you like they did for me as a young kid going... You mean I don't have to earn my way to heaven? I really can just receive grace into my life? I can uh, bow a humble knee, pray a prayer of repentance, and invite Christ into my life, and now walk it out with his power, not in my own. Like, what a freeing thing that was. And if that's true for you, if you are hearing that for the first time today, like we have a, a prayer team right after the service that would love to help you cross the line of faith. Or maybe that's something that you've heard, but you've never really taken that step to just say, okay, God, that's how I want to live like that on that path. I don't want to just perform for you. I, I want to experience what you have for me. You can do that today. If you're watching online, you can just click the uh, prayer button. Let us know that we will reach out to you. We'd love to help you 
We'd love to help you do that, cross the line of faith. And Paul describes that kind of life in the first three and a half chapters of Ephesians. And then halfway through chapter four and into chapter five, where we're going to be studying today, Paul describes uh, a person that has made that step. They're on the path with Christ, but they find themselves stuck or maybe bouncing back and forth between the life that they now can live in Jesus and the one that used to consume them. And he gets extremely specific, starting at chapter 5, verse 3. Let me read along with me. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, a worshiper of things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. We hear these verses and the, the, these things that Paul is describing, and if you're anything like me and you're honest, you, you, you soon say, yep, guilty on every front. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, coarse jokes, making excuses, maybe not every minute of every day, but yes, those things uh, have been true in my life. I'm, I'm guilty of those. But then we can also then quickly get defensive and we say, well, why do you have to bring up the whole anger of God thing, right, <laughs> to Paul? Um, Paul, what happened to all the we're adopted into God's family and this whole you're God's masterpiece from chapter two? I thought we could come boldly into the presence of God because we're forgiven people. And now you say this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ. Which is it? I thought grace covered all that. So let me clarify something for here before we move any farther. In the scripture, you'll hear Jesus himself or many of the writers refer to the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven is like, and you'll hear that phrase a lot. And when you read this, it's not usually talking about the kingdom of heaven as a place, even though these things do uh, exist without fail in heaven. It's more so talking about the way God works or the way it goes with God or the way God blesses his people in, in, as they go. So in this case, no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the way God works blessing into his or her life. Paul isn't saying that you have jumped across to the other path. He's saying you've constricted the work of God in your life. Here is what is possible and potential for you, and you have now constricted it. It may not have affected the path, but it created an alternate path in the one that you're on because grace is still prevalent in the life of the repentant believer. But instead, we find ourselves off in the rubble or in the weeds on our path to heaven. And God said, no, I've got a great plan for you right here. And we tend to say, no, I got this. I'll make my own way. And we find ourselves struggling in ways that we're, we were never designed to struggle. I think that's why Paul changes his tone at this point in the letter uh, because Pastor J.D. Greer puts it this way, perhaps one of the greatest tragedies in the modern church is that many of us don't even know that we're in a battle. It's like we live on a playground rather than a battleground and this is why I think people don't make it as Christians. They don't realize that the Christian life is war. 
I think that is so true for many of us. We've taken this step, but to understand that we're actually in a battle, Paul changes his tone, <clears throat> excuse me, like a parent would to a child or a coach to a player or an officer to a recruit. In Ephesians 5, 14, he says, wake up, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. He says, wake up, <clears throat> look around you. The battle is going on and you're in the thick of it. There's a battle from the enemy that is, exists, and TJ is actually going to talk about that next week, but there's also one of our own choosing as well. There's this path that we could be walking on and experiencing the blessing of God. Proverbs 3, 6 says, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. And yet we tend to choose the hardship of the weeds and the rocks and the alternate route. That's what can tend to happen when we take the reins. I got to experience a little of this this summer. We um, took a family vacation to the Boundary Waters, which is the area between the U.S. and Canada, up the north of Minnesota. And uh, the reason they call it the Boundary, uh, the, uh, boundary Area is because it, it's, there's more water than there is land in that area. It's some of the most remote uh, places in our country. And uh, we got, we connected with a uh, outfitter and got all of the gear that we needed, the five of us and our family, plus Wendy's brother Brad and his daughter, and then a couple of friends, nine of us on this portaging trip, they call it, because uh, in this area, when you paddle from one lake to another, they may not all connect via a stream or a river. You have to get to a spot, get out, you take all of your gear out, you're putting the canoe, 60 pound canoe on your shoulders and walking to the next spot, putting it down, then you have to go back and get your pack and all of your gear to bring it to the next spot. Sometimes this is a mile, so that's a four-mile trip to get to the next lake. And this was a 47-mile paddling trip from in over six days. Some of you are going, that is amazing. And others are you going, that was vacation? You're an idiot, you know? <laughs> it was an amazing experience. We have a hundred stories we could tell. But um, my experience looked a little more like this. I had a map between my legs. So I am the one responsible. When we go to the outfitter, they give you this map of basically Canada and uh, all of this area. And they say, okay, we're going to put you in at this location. You have to have a permit to enter even this area through the forestry service. We'll put you in at this location. Six days later, you'll, after the 47 miles of traveling, you'll be at this location. We'll pick you up on this specific day. What time would you like to meet us? I'm like, what? I go, how about two o'clock? They said, okay, great. We'll meet you there at two o'clock. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you navigate your way through this? So a lot of my time was looking at a map with a compass to be able to, to find our way to that. Um, we get to this, uh, the last thing they say is, by the way, due to COVID-19, the Canadian border is still closed. So you're going to travel north. Once you get to the border, you'll want to follow that along. And uh, uh, it, when you're in those rivers, even stay on the U.S. side if you can, because we shouldn't be there. And so, and I'm like, I don't, what, what happens if we don't do that? I have no idea. Um, but we're paddling along and get to this one spot. The Basswood Falls is coming up. Look like this, and we're uh, approaching the Basswood Falls, and you can hear the, when I say falls, it's not like Niagara Falls, more like heavy rapids, and you can hear it off to the side, and we began to look, look for the portaging spot to be able to go around these falls. Can't find it anywhere. We've got all four canoes looking, so I finally just, you know, take the bull by the horns uh, and say, okay, just pull up to these rocks. I'll jump out, and I'll find it, so I get out onto the 
point of this area, and when I look over, finally get around the trees and look down, here's what the Basswood Falls look like. And they told us that the water level was kind of low. So I'm like, well, this is not that big a deal. If we needed to, if we can't find this, we'll just pick up the canoes. There's enough of us. We'll just pass it along these rocks and that sort of thing. So I start navigating my way down on these huge boulders and uh, in getting out, the rocks are slippery from the water side. Then as you go a little bit farther, everything is loose, huge granite thing. I slipped and put my foot between two rocks, jam, I got chacos on, jam my toe between two rocks, just getting harder and harder to even climb down there. So I'm like, well, forget this, I'll go up in the land. Surely I can find the path up here. Get up into the, to the woods and it just gets denser and denser. I've got shorts on and I'm looking for, uh, you know, the way just going, I'll find this thing. And then all of a sudden I stumble across in the middle of the wilderness, this thing. Uh, you can see it a little closer. This is the Northern Territory boundary. If you ever wanted to know what Canada looks like, it looks like that. There's the other side of the deal. It is the weirdest thing to be walking in wilderness where you haven't seen anything man-made and all of a sudden you see something, just this aluminum spike there telling you. And I got to that point and I'm like, oh, I guess it's not this way. I guess I should be going down here. So then I'm fighting through the trees, get back out to the rocks, almost step on a snake, get down there. I get down to this spot on the lower lake that we're going to now and there's a little beach. And as I get there, here comes Nathan, John's friend, he has a backpack on and two oars in his hand. He said, oh, Mr. Griffith, we found the path. It's right here. I'm like, well, thank you so much. My legs are cut up. I got cobwebs in my hat. And, and uh, it, it, I, in that moment, I was experiencing the, there really is a great path, Dave. We've laid it out for you. You can have the blessing, the encouragement, the, 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 the stroll through the woods, or you can create your own, if you want to, this alternate path is there, but it's not what I designed you for. I've got great things I want to do in your life. Just tap into that. And Paul says in verse 5, 8, he says, you get to choose. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this life within you produces only what is good and right and true. He says, turn on a light to these things. Turn on a light in your relationships, in your decisions, in your intentions, he says in verse 10. Anything that feels like it's in the shadows in your life is not going to be helpful to you. Shine a light in that area. It's only a matter of time, he goes on to say in 513. Evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. So he specifically says to this new church, so be extremely careful how you approach this new life of grace. He says it twice in verse 10, be careful, uh, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And in verse 15, so be careful how you live. What Paul has so masterfully done in Ephesians is not just given us a list of do's and don'ts like a driver's uh, instruction manual would be. He's given us a picture of who we are in Christ and whose we are, adopted, uh, loved children of the king of all of creation and given us a picture of what life could look like now of that reality that's true in us. Bob Goff uh, says it this way, instead of telling people what they want, we need to tell them who they are. This works every time. We'll become in our lives whoever the people we love the most say that we are. The parents, listen up, this is like parenting gold right here. 
Instead of nagging our kids into submission, inspire them with who they can become. God did this all the time in the Bible. He told Moses he was a leader and he became one. He told Noah he was a sailor and he became one. He told Sarah she was a mother and she became one. He told Peter that he was a rock and he led the church. God through Paul has say, is saying to us, this is who you are as followers of me. And because of that, this is what could be true in your life. And then like a great coach, uh, he doesn't just rally the players together to the huddle and say, okay, here's the play. Go be great. <laughs> Break. No, he gives real guidelines. He gives real routes to run, reference markers in the woods, so to speak, to help us know that we're on the right path. The alternate paths are out there, and he says, I want to give you clear instruction so that life will go well with you, with me as a part of it. In the first half of chapter 5 alone, by my count, he gives 15 things that we should stop doing and 15 things that we should start doing. I've, just, I've listed them for you here uh, because due to time, uh, each of these could be a sermon of their own. Uh, uh, and these are in your notes at lexcity.info uh, if you want to uh, click on them there. You can spend more time with them this week. But he says, here's some things that you should stop doing. Being sexually immoral, coarse joking, excusing sin, participating in the things that ungodly people do, or excuse me, talking about the things that ungodly people do in secret, basically just gossiping uh, about all this. He says, just stop doing these things. And then he gives a, a list of start doing. You should start doing these kinds of things. Living a life filled with love. Expressing thankfulness. Submitting to one another. Just a few on that list. And that's just the first half of chapter 5. Then he goes on to break down categories. Okay, parents and husbands and wives, look at this. If you want to dig more into that, you can. He's giving boundary markers to say it should and could look like this in your life to help you stay out of the rocks and the weeds and uh, not to wander off the path I've got for you. I don't think Paul's intention was to create an exhaustive list that covered every question of this young church, but he does hit a whole lot of topics in a short amount of time, and I think every one of them brings a good, healthy challenge to us 2,000 years later. It's kind of shocking how the Bible does that in our lives. So Paul says, number one, wake up. There's a battle around you. Number two, he says, shine a light on these things uh, so that you don't have to be tied to them anymore. Just explore that. And then he gives some practical things. He's, he, he says, if you want to be a wise person, if you want to live like a wise person, verse 16, then he gives uh, these tips, these boundary markers that will be uh, helpful in our lives. Two of them have to do with the calendar, I think, and three of them have to do with our hearts. Ephesians 5, uh, 16 says... Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. He calls the days evil, which at first doesn't make much sense because God was the one that created them. How can that be? But if you think about your own experience, when the last time you've been left um, alone with impromptu idle time on your hands? Or more so, think about the classroom where the teacher just has to step out for just a few minutes. It's a downward spiral pretty quickly. 
Most of the time, uh, that's what happens. And he's saying that because we're sinful people at heart. Each day within it holds evil potential unless we maximize it the way God uh, had intended. So that's why I think Paul really is talking about the calendar here. We don't just drift into godliness. And we don't just stumble across holy living. How did I get here? This is amazing, you know. We tend to drift into complacency. And we stumble into just Netflix forever, you know. That's why I say if it's not on your calendar, we really don't care that much about it. A good friend of mine one time said, my calendar is always full. But it's not always intentionally full. That's why I think group life is so important in our lives. When you belong to a group of godly people and it's on your calendar, you've got built-in life, built-in godly community, accountability, and a challenge from people that you walk with, people cheering you on in your corner. It's built into your week. And it moves from this ideal that you have to a conviction that you practice. We're going to be launching groups in, in August, and you may want to be ready to take that step at that time. That's why I think serving in the church and in the community is so important. It changes your mindset when you begin to see that the world doesn't all just revolve around me. Every week, I have places in my, on my calendar where I serve either with a team or as an individual to just say, okay, God, use this time. I put it on the calendar, and it's almost without fail that God shows up in some amazing way, not just through the people that I'm serving, but for what he does in me. You want to be a part of generational impact and godly change in families, sign up to serve at Kids City or Lex City Youth. Like, put it on your calendar and just say, God, I'm going to make this investment and watch what he will do in and through your life. Make the most of every opportunity, God says. Then he goes on to say, Ephesians 5, 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Do you know what it looks like in your life to act thoughtlessly? Usually mine is, when that happens in my life, it's uh, right after that I'm saying something like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't even count the number of times I'm, I've said the phrase, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking, right? The reason I think this boundary marker is also a calendar tip is because uh, acting thoughtlessly usually impacts people, doesn't it? That's the way that carries out in our life. This statement that he's making is about relationship. Understanding what the Lord wants you to do could be profession and could be the big calling in your life, but usually it means the impact of the people around you, understanding what God wants you to do. And when we don't have key relationships on our calendars, <clears throat> we tend to be about ourselves. If I don't have my uh, time with my wife, Wendy, on my calendar, guess what? We tend to be more distant. Investing in my kids and friends in a real way, if it's not on my calendar, guess what? We're not as close as we could be. We're not growing in that way. Jesus said, go into all of the world and make disciples. And if I don't have that on my calendar, investing in other people, guess what? It tends to not happen. Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, be strategic, and know what the Lord wants you to do. And then, Paul doesn't mix any words, and he goes right into 5.18, and he says this, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a boundary marker for living 
Paul says, if you want wisdom in your life, don't get drunk, it will ruin you. <laughs> and many of us can attest to that. That is your testimony. This was what my, consumed my life. Some of you are struggling through that right now. We applaud you in your work in that. That's why we've got a group on Thursday night specifically to help you um, through that time. But it's interesting to me that Paul links that. He says, don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that, that he ties those things uh, together. I think it's um, uh, cool that God is, uh, Paul, the Lord through Paul is saying, we know that there's a feeling involved in this. Most people drink because they don't want to feel or, or they want to just feel different than they normally do. And Paul says, you want a feeling that will spice up your life and will not be a cheap um, numbing alternative or one that will haunt you in the morning. He says, get so close to Jesus that his spirit fills you to overflowing confidence and hope. It won't fade. It, it is the fullness of Christ. So much so that he goes on in his next verse to say, sing about it. <laughs> verse 519, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Paul gets, Paul says, get so filled up that you can't help but sing about it. I, I love that he does give us an out though. He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And for some of you, just make music in your heart. That would be better for all of us, you know. <laughs> But he, he, says, he, he says, sing about these things. Isn't it crazy of all the tips and the boundary markers that Paul could be giving this church that he's writing to at a distance, and he says, sing. <laughs> that is his instruction to them. Not, not in a how does your voice sound, are you able to make the audition cut, but expressing what is true in your heart and in your life. He, he says, sing about it. I was in a Muslim country recently, and a guy asked me, who, who was really exploring things of uh, Christianity, and he said, tell me what all this singing deal is about in, in church. He goes, we, uh, if we ever did that in a Muslim temple, that would be so disgraceful. We do not do this. Uh, what is the deal with that? And I, I'd never been asked that question before, and I, I told him, I was like, well, first of all, let me just say, if you had the gift of getting your rap sheet cleared and the God of the universe telling you how much he loved you, you would want to sing about it too. Christians can't help but sing about what is true, the greatness of God that we experience in our life. So Paul gives this practical tip, this boundary marker, and he says, you want to grow in wisdom? Sing about it. Try it. If you're here today, you're watching online we're gonna close with a song here in just a minute. It's not just a box that you check, it's an expression of what God is doing in your heart. Some of you, like you may wanna raise a hand for the first time today. I know as crazy people do that, but like just what would it look like to immerse yourself in worship of God that says I'm going to express what is true in my heart? And then Paul says lastly, be thankful. Ephesians 5.20, and give thanks, to, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to stay out of the weeds and off of the rocks and on the clear paths? Practice gratitude, Paul says, in your life. Watch the clarity that God will bring to you. You want to know which way to go? But give thanks in the hard times and the great times. Live a life of gratitude and let the Lord guide your path in it. 
Paul says this will be a step of wisdom that will change your life. So I'm actually going to give us some time uh, to do that today. You don't get very much just blank space in your calendar just to be able to go, okay, I want to connect with the Lord and see what he has to say with us. We're actually going to put this list up uh, and just let you spend some time. Maybe it's time of confession where you just want to say, Lord, you brought this to my mind today or this statement or this moment or this night or this thing. Uh, God, I just want to confess that to you. I pray that you would forgive me and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Or maybe, maybe this time you just want to do that, what Paul says, just be thankful. Let, let God begin to shape and change you out of your gratitude. But let me just give you one caveat that I've learned. At this point, uh, be so careful that you don't slip into performing for God. I learned a long time ago that the Christian life is not a performance. It's an experience with him. Let these things come out of an experience that God uh, has done in your life. Josh and Pastor Brian spoke about those the last two weeks, that Christians were not just supposed to claim the words and stop it. It's not behavior modification. It's soul transformation that God wants to do in us. So we want to get you, give you some time to get in the fight and do that today. So I'm just going to open us with prayer. You're going to have some time, and then the band's going to come and lead us as we worship together. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, Paul's words to us. And now hear our uh, words to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name.